and welcome to the Creative Sheet Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire church leaders to get better. Who am I? My name's Jared Hogan. I'm your host of the Creative Sheet Podcast. I'm super excited to be here with you today. We've got an incredible interview for you. I had the pleasure of talking with Coach Tom Mullins. If you don't know who he is, I genuinely don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, Tom is the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship Church in Florida. Look him up online. This guy is amazing. High school football coach turned pastor and has just torn it up for the kingdom of God. And we'll get to that interview here in just a little bit. But before we do, folks, of course, we have to do today's shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame, shameless. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame, shameless plug. Folks, I'm so excited to tell you about a brand new product that we've just released in the Creative Sheep store. It is our series packs. We've put together everything you'll need from graphic design to video to roll out a new teaching series at your church. Included, you're going to find series artwork that comes with the main slide. You're going to find series theme content and scripture slides in there where you can drop in key text and scriptures to go along with your message for the weekend. We're going to give you the original editable PSD file so that you can resize these files to fit anything from a bulletin all the way up to a billboard. You're going to get lower third slides in there. The current series slide is in there. Plus, we're including video stuff. You're going to get a graphic bumper that's going to act as a message bumper to get you out on stage. We've got countdowns in there. You're going to find Bringvitation art. And when I say Bringvitation art, what that is, it's a card that you're going to be able to print out to put in the hands of your people to send them out to bring someone with them. We've got share graphics in there for social media. We're going to give you a promo video. You've got a promo slide. Plus, there's going to be many, many more marketing collaterals that you're going to find in there. All of this for one low price. Go check it out at creativesheep.org and check this out. For this first little bit here, we're going to provide for our podcast listeners, if you enter the, the code podcast at checkout, you're going to get 50% off. That's right, 50% off for entering the code podcast at checkout. So make sure to get over to creativesheep.org and check out our brand new series packs. And that is today's shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame, shameless plug. Folks, to say that it was a pleasure to chat with Coach Tom Mullins, doesn't do it justice. It was such an honor to be able to chat with him. Uh, Pastor slash coach Tom Mullins, uh, the author of three books. Uh, He and his wife started Christ Fellowship Church in Palm Beach, Florida in 1984. Today, at their multiple locations, they have over 30,000 people in attendance every single weekend, not to mention well over 20,000 people catching them online every weekend. The guy has definitely done something right. I had the pleasure of chatting with him about his latest book, Passing the Leadership Baton, which he definitely knows something about because back in 2011, he passed the leadership baton off to his son, Pastor Todd, who is now the senior pastor of Christ Fellowship Church. But here we go, without further ado, with my chat with pastor slash coach Tom Mullins. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Coach Tom Mullins. Uh, Coach uh, slash Pastor Tom uh, started the church, uh, Christ Fellowship, in Palm Beach, Palm Beach County, Florida. Uh, was it 1984, sir? Yes, April of 1984. 
and uh, this church has really just exploded. Um, and I, last I saw, the numbers were at your nine campuses, uh, about 30,000 people showing up every weekend, um, and uh, about 15,000 viewing online. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, that number's growing online every day. We're in 135 nations now, which is kind of uh, surprising to us as well, and and now that number's swelling every week, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing literally around the world, and kind of hard to believe that an old football coach would have the privilege of being <laughs> witnessing all of this. That's amazing. Praise God for what you're doing down there. This is incredible. Um, and, and, and one thing that's fascinating, you, you just released your third book, Passing the Leadership Baton. Um, you've just recently, within the past, is it five years that you've passed the church on to your son, Todd? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Five years ago, uh, we, we passed the Leadership Baton. The church has grown exponentially since then. It's been phenomenal. And I have found myself uh, in a whole new uh, chapter of, of my life in ministry that's exciting we're still very involved in the local church right here at Christ Fellowship. Um, uh, Todd still keeps me on the teaching team along with John Maxwell, and uh, we're here to support. And now my goal is to serve my son as faithfully as he served me all those years before I passed the baton to him. And we're seeing a, a great dynamic, and it's also given me freedom now to uh, be a part of Dr. Maxwell's organization, Equip, which is training leaders globally in 190 nations. And also, we're being able to do a lot more mentoring and coaching of uh, young pastors across the nation, and I absolutely love that. Man, that's awesome. So let, let's rewind here before we jump into the book. Let's rewind to 1984. So prior to 1984, how did you get into the ministry? What what prompted starting this church? Kind of give us the uh, uh, backstory, if you will, on how you got where you are. I'd love to. I grew up in, in a, a home of uh, my grandfather was my pastor, and my great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher. So I've grown up my whole life in the church uh, with ministry as a part of our lives. I got married young at 20 and a sophomore in uh, college, and my wife and I have served the local church uh, ever since we've been married. And I preached my first sermon at 16. And even when I was coaching college football, uh, every Sunday, I would be in the local church trying to serve the local church the best way I could. But I never had that urge to ever be full-time into ministry uh, until I went to Israel in 1983, and that kind of turned my world upside down. And I went to a deeper level of commitment to the Lord and just kind of surrendered all my plans to him. At the time, I was a college athletic director uh, at the time, and... Um, I made the commitment, and I felt the Lord's call to go full-time into ministry. And in 1984, we launched out by faith and, and planted uh, Christ Fellowship Church. And now here, 31 years later, uh, we're seeing God just do miraculous things and thousands of people's lives being touched and transformed, and uh, we're very humbled by that. I'm curious, as a young leader myself, did you ever foresee— uh, in 1984, that you would be leading a church of 30,000 people? No, didn't have a clue. I, you know, I had pastored uh, as an interim pastor uh, a lot of smaller churches in the 100, 200 uh, range, and I never even thought about those kind of numbers. I just, we just had a passion on our heart to reach people at their point of need and to really demonstrate the love of Christ to them in such a way that we would earn the trust of them to share the message of life and hope. 
And so that's kind of been our core mission. And um, the amazing thing about our journey, Jared, is that the people who started with us 31 years ago are all still with us today. Even when we grew to be a 100, uh, we thought that was great. We finally got to the 100 mark. Uh, all of those people, except for that some have moved out of the area and some have gone on to be at the Lord, but they're all still with us. So it's kind of amazing that the people have really bought into the mission, bought into the vision, and they have stayed with us on the journey. And, and through all the changes that we've made, the dynamics that have happened uh, through growth, but it's just been a God-ordained thing. It's kind of been, I really do believe, the favor of my great-grandfather being faithful in ministry and my grandfather being faithful in ministry, and we try and just to walk before the Lord with integrity and love people, that he has honored that, and, and that's the only way I can explain what the Lord has done. But we really never saw this coming. Um, I, I never saw it. When, when the growth took off and we started after many years of laboring um, in a schoolhouse, uh, we bought our first small piece of property. It was in a, actually a covered writing arena that we converted to a ministry center. So we kind of went from a barn, you know, in a stable where it all got started in Bethlehem, and um, uh, this took off. And then God's been blessing. We've been growing. Now we've gone into uh, multi-sites and even planned a campus in New York City. Um, oh, wow. I, I never had any concept that we would be in a position to minister uh, but it's it's we we feel a great sense of responsibility with that, and we're really trying to raise the spiritual tide of our entire region. So we're not only pouring into our church and our campuses, but we're trying to pour into other churches and to other ministries in our area. And we're always looking for how we can add value. And it seems that the more we try to pour into others, the more God pours into us. So it, it's just an amazing journey. That's incredible. It, it seems like that could be something that would. I love what you said there at the end about pouring into not only your church but the churches around you, um, which could seem counterintuitive to some leaders. When man, that's a, that's amazing. Everything we have at Christ Fellowship, we consider that anything that's been God inspired is for the kingdom uh, work. And so we tell all of our local churches and all of our smaller churches and younger churches and. And they may have been around a long time. It doesn't matter. Take anything that Christ Fellowship has. Take our name off of it, put your name on it, and use it for the kingdom of God. A lot of young churches are struggling. They don't have money in their budgets for programming. And we help them with, with video work. Or We found a church that needed some new uh, chairs. We bought them the chairs. A church that needed a new sound system. We got them a new sound system. Anything we can do to help advance the work of the kingdom of God, we want to do it. And, and that seems to have uh, really helped us uh, with, with Broader's agenda and see that broader agenda. And now through the years, we've developed a, a, a trust level with the other churches that they know that instead of us being intimidating to them because we're so large, they really see us as a partner in ministry. And, and that's, our, that's been our heart. That is incredible. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so started as a coach, turned pastor, um, and one of the things I've heard you say that I love is that uh, you say that people would rather have a coach than a boss. Yeah, and nobody wants to work for a boss. They all want to work for a coach. A coach is a guy who sees your potential, believes in you, and he's endeavoring to bring the best out of you so that the team can can experience victory. And um, 
Actually, what helped me years ago, Jared, was I went to my very first job at Maxwell Conference way back in the early 90s. And um, I, I heard John teach on leadership, and I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, of course, that's that's all exactly right. But what John did for me was he kind of, when he did this whole session on playing to your strengths, I realized that my strength was a coach. So I went back and started changing some of my approaches uh, we dropped all terms called committee, chairpersons, all the traditional things you have in church. I said, no, now we've got captains. Uh, we've got no longer a new membership class. It's called get in the game. Uh, I just turned all my language back, and I just – it kind of empowered me just to play to my coach's strengths and begin to coach people up. And so I, uh, my first book I wrote uh, was called The Leadership Game, and it was really all about trying to help pastors learn how to lead like a coach. Um, don't just get locked into some of the traditional models that were taught in seminary. Uh, and I went back late to get my doctorate degree. And uh, what shocked me, I was in a class with about 40 other students uh, that were working on their doctorate. And uh, I asked a question one day in a class, how many of those guys had ever played a team sport in high school or college? Not one hand, and that class went up. I was shocked. And here I'm the old man in the class, of course, and I turned around and told him, I said, guys, you're in trouble. I said, if you don't know how to to build a team, recruit a team, build a team, motivate a team, focus a team, and know how to celebrate with that team the victories that you experience, you're never going to be able to effectively lead your churches the way you should. And uh, that's what prompted me to write my first book, The Leadership Game, because I, I just wanted guys to know that, that there's so much more than preparing our sermon on the weekend. It's really right. how we build our teams, because today you do ministry by team. Uh, if you're not a good team builder, a good team leader, a good team recruiter, uh, you're not going to be very successful. If you don't know how to empower your people uh, and and get your get your players in the right position on the team, um, you're, you're not going to be very successful in accomplishing all that God would have you do without having that framework and approach, I believe. Absolutely. And you referencing that, that first book that you wrote, I would recommend for all of our listeners to go pick that up. I've, I've been looking through that book, and it is incredible. The seven, the seven uh, techniques that you give are outstanding. Uh, so make sure to go pick up that book. What uh, if you could? So, so with with that in mind, with the people would rather have a coach than a boss. If you could give us just one or two super practical things that we can apply today uh, at becoming a better coach, what would those be? Well, you know, what starts with a, a coach is is uh, all great coaches are great recruiters, and so everyone that I encounter, I, I'm recruiting all the time. Um, and I'm trying to get to the heart of where people's passions are, where their, where their gifts are, and, and I'm right away telling them one thing. We need you on our team. We can't accomplish our mission without you. And right away, uh, you, you, you validate people, and you let them know that they are critical to the mission of the church. Now, here's one thing I've learned through the years, Jared. Our relationships drive the mission. You can have a great vision, you can have a great God-breathed mission, but if you don't have strong relationships, uh, that's why I think we've been able to maintain 
um, such support from all of those that launched us 31 years ago because we've really invested and been intentional about building strong relationships that are all around the mission of the church and um, the mission of ministry and helping people feel a sense of calling in their lives. And they don't have to be a paid staff member to bring value to the team, okay? Uh, matter of fact, we, we have to run, our ministries run on thousands of volunteers every week. Uh, it, it takes, it, it's a crazy number. It takes like 7,000 people for us to wow. run all of our campuses and do all that we do and, and, uh, involved in. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, you have to, you have to know as a coach how to build those teams, keep the teams motivated, focus, celebrate with those teams. Um, people are feeling great about what they're doing. Um, and you've got to know how to communicate to them, inspire them, and uh, keep them focused. And, and that's all a part of a coach's role. Um, and I think that's why I say we've got to lead like a coach. And I think that's, that's what's so important in today's ministry. That's fantastic. So you, you mentioned there several times keeping the team focused. What does that look like? How do you, how do, you do that in a super tangible way? Well, I, I think one thing is um, that sometimes we take for granted is that we, we, uh, we think we share something once or twice or we have a, a series on it, and, and that's kind of covered the ground as far as casting <laughs> vision. Uh, but yeah. really that's not it. You know, we have to be people – who are carriers of the vision that God's implanted, and then we need to sow it into others who are great carriers of that vision, who can communicate that, who are carrying the literally the DNA of, of your church down line, and that's building the culture uh, of the church. And mm-hmm. as, uh, as John Maxwell would say, culture eats vision for lunch. Uh, in other <laughs> words, culture trumps vision. So it, it's really how, how strong are you building your culture? You know, we, we strengthen our culture every week with a corporate staff meeting uh, that we have with everyone that's a part of Christ Fellowship in any capacity, whether you're a custodian or you're heading up a ministry uh, or you're a campus pastor. We come together and we celebrate the things that God's been doing uh, that past week of ministry. And then we also celebrate people who are reflecting the core values of our church. And when we, we try to catch people doing the right things with excellence. And when we catch them doing that, we celebrate them. And as the old adage goes, what you celebrate gets done. And people mm. start realizing, here's the mark of what we're called to. Uh, when people are reflecting the right attitude and their, their, and their compassion and their love, and yet they're demonstrating great excellence uh, in, in how they're serving, uh, we want to celebrate that. And we do that church-wide once a quarter with a big volunteers event that we have where we come together and just have a big party, have fun, and celebrate the people. And people look forward to that. I, I think that if you ask most of our staff, they would tell you the highlight of their week is our staff meeting. So it's not a boring mm. thing. It's a fun thing. We have fun. We laugh. We cry. Uh, we, we, we get something that's going to add value to our team, and we affirm them. And we, we realize that we are truly one church that just happens to meet in nine locations. And then we go out together for our ministry. And um, that that's one practical thing that you need to do. 
I think the other thing is I've I've tried to really identify my key influencers and mm. pour into them and pour that vision into them so they're commuting down line to everyone that's under their influence, uh, key ministry heads, uh, key volunteers, finding ways to advise to them and sow vision into them as well. Same thing with people who are those guys that have the ability to give. You have people have the gift of giving and uh Sometimes I think guys are held back. They don't invest enough in their key donors. And I think you need to take time to invest in those guys and find ways to add value to them uh, so you're not always asking from them, but you're looking how to give to them. And I think when people see you coming and they know that your primary purpose is to add value to them, not what you can get from them, but what you can give to them, it's amazing how the dynamic changes, and you literally engage people uh, to want to come and be a part of the vision and part of the church. Man, that's good stuff. Just out of curiosity, so for your uh, all-staff meeting uh, that you do once a week, is do all nine locations come to one place for that yeah. meeting? Yeah, we come one place, and our New York campus Skypes in. So they Skype in, and we got that's them awesome. their life, and we talk to them, and we interact with them on Skype, and they share their stories. We cheer and celebrate them. And we usually celebrate all the campuses, uh, and we get reports. And, hey, we may have a uh, – I remember one uh, a couple of years ago, I still sticks out in my mind, one of our maintenance guys, he gets up and he says, hey, we're so excited. We led this guy, this one delivery guy to Jesus uh, this week. Uh, we've been working on him for several years, and, uh, and I always ask him how we can pray for him. He finally came in, and he had a crisis. We prayed for him, and then we looked at him. We said, you know, you really need Jesus. And he said, I'm ready to receive him. And our boys led him to Jesus out on the loading dock. And, uh, boy, we went nuts. We went in. We were celebrating that, (laughs) you know, uh, that that he led that guy to Jesus. And we said, that's the real ministry of what's going on. And and whether we just baptized three or 400 people or one weekend we we baptized, like, I don't know, 1,600 in one weekend. Oh, my goodness. We threw a party like you won't believe. So we love to party and celebrate with our people, and it just it just affirms them, it validates them, and encourages them, uh, and it also helps them understand uh, more of what our real heart is, because we're celebrating the things that reflect our true heart and our core values of the church, and therefore you're strengthening your culture every time you do that, and um, so that's just a couple of the practical things we do with our staff. That's a, that is amazing. I love the that the the maintenance guys led somebody to Jesus on the loading dock. That's incredible. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. well, but here's the thing: we we we're on mission all the time, so we understand that that everyone here is, is a minister. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what your title, what your job position is. You all have been called to ministry, and 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 we do it with a ministry mindset of how can we be that salt and light. Uh, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So if we don't make things a little better and a little brighter, then we're not fulfilling our mission very well. And we're trying to let that be right on down to our people that they understand they were made for Mondays. You know, they're made to get out there and Mm -hmm. be that salt and light through the week uh, wherever they are and let their life be contagious. So that's why we're excited about when we have it being manifest. And it's got to be manifested internally. Uh, with your teams, and you may only have a team of two. You know, I, we start off with a, I start off with a team of one, 
and 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 everybody in the church was a volunteer because they all had a place of service. <laughs> and, uh, so we, you know, so now with our staff today, but we never forget that the real team is out there is our volunteers. And from the first time you pull on the parking lot to the guy directing traffic, we may have a CEO of a major company out there directing traffic for you. Or, you know, wow. or we have doctors out in the parking lot directing traffic, you know. Uh, but those guys that say, hey, you're the first responders. They see you, and you need to have a big smile and a warmth and ready to receive and help and minister to people, even as they pull onto the site, praying over them as they drive by you. You know, so we're just trying to teach people to have that kind of a mindset. That's incredible. I, that's the, the way that your that your church culture sounds is it's incredible, and I mean it's contagious. Just talking to you, um, how passionate you are about this, uh, which is this is amazing. Um, so jumping into passing the leadership baton, and and one question I have in this is, should we be uh, should we be in a constant state of passing the baton? And what I mean by that is just constantly training up new leaders uh, to take our spot. Yes, I, I, I think that's really a mark of, of a healthy environment uh, is when you are actually cultivating leaders, empowering leaders. You've got to create an empowerment culture to where you're always trying to bring people up to the next level. And as pastors and leaders, we need to pass off as much as of what we're doing by creating, by, of course, being first a good model for what we want, um, looking for people that really have the right, uh, of course, this all starts with character. Uh, I, I want people that's got great character. They've got great attitude. Uh, they've already um, proven that they have the respect and trust of others. Uh, they have an ability to engage people well. Uh, and, and they're problem solvers. You know, I want people around me that are good problem solvers. Um, and, and I want to then invest in them and try to bring them to the next level and pass off as much as I can uh, for them to, the, according to their capacity, uh, to receive and run. So I think basically you're trying to, uh, 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 the pastor or leaders are always trying to transition others and bring them up into greater positions. Of course, now my book deals with, uh, transitions in a broad sense, but also that that big transition that sometimes we have to make out of departments or out of even a lead role and how to prepare and transition for that as well. But we should always be uh, passing the baton. Uh, one of the big mistakes I made as I look back in my ministry was I didn't pass enough things off to even volunteer um, lay people, I should have given them even more in the early days, where now we give them a lot of responsibility along with authority, but we give them clear parameters. There's clear objectives, there's measurables, and there's parameters and boundaries that have been established. So things can stay within a healthy context, but you have to empower them, and you have to give them authority to carry out what they need, the assignments that they have. Sometimes we want to give people assignments and responsibility, but we don't want to give away any authority. But I mm-hmm. think if you really pass the baton well uh, in some areas, you've got to be able to understand that and prepare for that and do that with, within the right context. I'd like to drill down on that just a little bit. So you said you said that early on that you didn't that you wished you had given away more responsibility and authority. What kind of specifically? What would that look like? What what back then did you not, but you're doing now? Uh, just to put in a little more context there. 
Well, you know, I, I remember one time uh, we were um, um, I, we were smaller and we were getting ready to try try to get into some other uh, uh, looking at property, looking at various things, and I, I tried to control everything uh, from negotiations with the bank to negotiation with the realtor to the negotiation with the architects to for site kind of concepts and everything else. So then I pulled a couple of my business guys in uh, to to help me. And I was giving them assignments, but then I was micromanaging these guys. Uh, mm. and, and one of them pushed back real hard uh, one day, and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, listen, I, I'm the CEO and president of my company. I have a company that is generating uh, tens of millions of dollars a year. Uh, I've got a staff that's ten times the size of your staff. And he says, I am very capable to do this, but you're trying to micromanage me. Now, either you do it or let me do it. And I looked at him, I go, you're exactly right, and I would have probably pushed back the same way you are. And so I turned him loose. And I said, but if you mess up, I'm going to knock your head off. You know, but, of course, <laughs> he, was, he was an old football player, so I could get away with that. I could say that. To him. But, but that was that was like a wake-up call for me, you know, and I realized, yeah. hey. So I actually turned those guys loose. And I went in. I never forget. I went into a bank meeting, and I always let. So I went in a bank meeting. And I had the two business guys with me, and the bankers there. And I said, "So the bank said, you know, usually I lead this meeting, but I'm not today. I'm deferring to my business leaders here. They're gonna they're gonna lead our negotiations for the church, and I'm gonna leave the decision up to them on how we process this." Well, those guys tore into those bankers, got them to lower the interest rates. They got a better deal, saved the church, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years of the life of the loan. And I'm sitting wow. realizing if I had been leaving this, uh, it would have cost the church. Uh, and But because I empowered these guys, they took our – and guess what else happened? When you empower people, uh, it is amazing. They don't only take ownership of it. They now have a new sense of responsibility with it. And then these guys also stepped up and started giving at a higher capacity than they ever had before. Uh, you know, where they are, what they're doing, how it's all going. And I, I thought that was great. So, I mean, I've learned those lessons uh, to really find the right people, the gifted people, empower them, make sure you're communicating clearly, you're checking in, you're setting those parameters, but turn them loose to go do the job, you know. Uh, so many times we try to do things by, too much by committee. And I'm a big one on, hey, if you need – something done with the bank. Let's get guys that deal with the bank every day. If you need something done with the um, the interior of the church and the decorations, don't have a committee. Find people that that's their gift mix. Turn them loose. Let them go do it. And let's get this thing done right and get people involved and let them take ownership of various pieces of your ministry, and you'll find out you'll have so much of a more healthy team, morale, involvement, support, uh, and then you're going to have leaders that are really going to shine, and those are the kind of people you want to then put in charge of greater aspects of ministry. So I think you need to pass off as much as you can uh, to the right team members, and then you 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 huddle up with them. You've got to gather with them. You've got to get reports. You've got to encourage them. You've got to pour into them. But it frees us up. I was doing way too much stuff as a young pastor. Uh, I could have freed up into very capable hands if I was simply been secure enough to let go of some things. One of the problems that breaks us, Jared, from passing the baton in many things is our own insecurities. You know, and, mm. and we we got to grow up and be mature ourselves aside, secure in who we are, and validate other people. And that's one thing about a coach. 
A coach is content to be on the sidelines. You don't have to be the guy in the game running the ball. You know, mm. you can be the guy on the sideline watching somebody else run the ball and celebrate when they score. You know, mm, and know great. that you have a part in that because you help get them on the field. You help organize and get the right plays, the right structure, building that team, and uh, then celebrating that team when when they do have victory. I got. I got to be honest with you, there, Pastor. The I wasn't expecting the example you to give to be such a big example. I was expecting that you gave an usher some more authority in the auditorium, and you're talking about letting someone in your church negotiate uh, what sounds to be a, a huge amount of money. Uh, a yeah, deal. Time, That's incredible. Uh, it's about a ten million dollar loan. Wow. They saved us so much on the interest rates. And it's really interesting because the guys threatened the bank. They said, if you don't give them the rate you give us, we're going to pull our money out of your bank and we're going to move it to another bank. Oh, my goodness. So they had the bank They, they had the bank right where I was sitting there with a little smile on my face <laughs> going, boy, I like this. And then we paid off multiple loans with the bank. Now they're coming to us with the loan us money where we don't uh, necessarily need to borrow it <laughs> right now. But, you know, and, and the other thing I've done with all major business decisions that we have with the church um, we, I always bounce those off our business guys that are in those fields before I even bring them to our, our board of elders. Um, I want to make sure that they can help protect us from any blind spots or any things we're not seeing uh, on those areas. And, uh, and then whatever it is, I found that the, if you have good counsel and you, you get that counsel and engage that counsel in any kind of decision-making, uh, it just helps the process. And people feel very much valued because you'd come to them to engage them to help you with the decision-making process. And then, uh, then with our elders that we've always had the, the policy internally that if it was not unanimous among us that we would never move or act on any major decision because we wanted to guard our unity above all things. So we didn't want to become political. We didn't want to become, well, we have, a, you know, a four, a four to three vote or whatever. No, no, no. If, if we're not unified on it, then let's just wait until God unifies us on it. Or maybe that's God's way of protecting us from stepping into something or making a decision we shouldn't uh, in those areas. Now, when it comes down to empowering your ushers, I think it's important to have, whether it be your ushers, greeters, whatever, they need to be in on the process of how do we better serve our people. And the people actually doing the ministry can oftentimes give you the best insights to how to do ministry. And you know what? Test drive the thing. You know, everything we do is, is I don't mind saying, hey, let's test drive this thing. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, we say, well, you know, that's not quite working as well as we thought. Let's try this. So, you know, when you have that kind of an environment, it's not you don't make failure an enemy. Uh, you, you actually make if we fail at something, we're going to learn from it and we're going to grow and uh, we're going to make adjustments. I think that's one thing. Another thing is coaches understand that when you're when you've got a team, you can have a great game plan. But when the game starts, uh, you can get into the game, realize, man, that game plan is not working like we thought. And you've got to be able to call audible. You've got to be able to make an adjustment. You've got to be able to problem solve on your feet and, and, and not go like, oh, well, I've got, I'm going to lose face here if I admit I was wrong. No, I have no problem admitting I blew that one. I, I didn't make a good decision on that one. Uh, but what's great about it is when you get the team involved 
Um, it's not like you giving commands and everybody has to go run off and implement them. With the team involvement, we, we make these decisions together as a team. As a team leader, you, you're going to sh help shape that and help influence that, obviously. Uh, but you engage the people to help you with the ideas. And, and the other thing I've learned is I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. Jared? Mm -hmm. you, you don't have the right people at the table if you've always if they're always using your your uh, your, your solutions. Um, I want people that are offering insights and solutions that maybe I haven't even comprehended or thought about the way I should have. And if I'm always thinking ahead of everybody I got in the room, then I realize I don't have the right people in the room. So I want to have people in the room that are going to challenge me, that are going to always uh, kind of be out there thinking a step ahead of me, uh, and helping us come up with the best approaches to ministry. Man, one of the things I love about you, Pastor Tom, is that you you're a learner. You're it's even uh, even as a veteran here, you're a learner. And and this was a question I was going to ask later, but I feel like it's fitting right now. I think it's fascinating that you have John Maxwell goes to your church, the leadership guru goes to your church, and not only that, is he's on your teaching team? Is that right? Yes, yeah. John's been on our teaching team for several years. Just taught about two weeks ago. Did a phenomenal job. Our people absolutely love John. Uh, he, and, it's, and it's great for John because it, it helps John stay connected with his roots as being a pastor. So for him to be here in a congregation that loves him and that uh, he comes and shares and teaches with us is great. And then he's also here to help pour into our staff and into our leaders of our, of our, of our church as well. That's amazing. And I, what's so fascinating about that to me is I think that some leaders would be intimidated by having someone like John Maxwell on the team, uh, but not only you've embraced it and leveraged it, which is amazing. Well, you know, John has been such an asset and uh, such an opportunity uh, for all of us and to be a part of this team. And, and I've been thrilled that my son Todd had the privilege to uh, sit under John as well. And John uh, kind of was with us in our preparation stages of passing the baton and uh, John gave us some coaching uh, through that time. I mean, I saw John. I said, John, here, help us as we make this move. Help me talk about some of the transitions, John, you made in your life and ministry. And uh, we learned from those things. And then, and then John was there to help coach up uh, in areas. And, and, and what's interesting is we, we have such a relationship here in our church. We're all ready to coach each other up. You know, so if I think if I think John needs to be coached up in an area, I coach him up. You know, I say, hey, John, have wow. you thought about this? Let's do this. Uh, John, consider this. Um, so, and John's open to that. I mean, John's a lifelong learner. If you're a learner, yeah. if, if you have a hunger to learn and grow, you then are coachable. And if we ever lose the fact that being coachable, then we're in trouble because we're going to suddenly become a lid to our ministry. Uh, but if you will stay coachable, then you will always be growing. And I'm learning a lot, Jared, from the young guys. I mean, you know, these young guys are calling me in to mentor them now. But, man, I pick their brains. I'm learning things from them. I'm observing things, and, and I'm trying to grow and adapt and uh, become more effective as a leader, as a communicator uh, in all these areas. So, I mean, we all can learn and grow from each other. That's a, that's fantastic. The great thing about it is my son, uh, Todd, is is his own unique man and leader. 
He has his own unique teaching style, which is different from mine and different from John's. And, and But he is secure in who he is as a leader, so he's not threatened by John. And and we celebrate John. So it's not like, you know, boom. I mean, we all celebrate John. And yeah. we basically give John a lot of the weekends that are what you consider your off weekends. You know, the weekend after Thanksgiving, the weekend after Christmas, uh, the uh, Labor Day weekend. All the weekends that people are gone, traveling, you have your lowest crowds. We typically have John preach those weekends because they will then be some of our largest crowds of the, of the year. And John even laughs about it. He gets up and says, you know, he calls them the trash weekends. He says, you know, you, I used to give all these weekends away to my assistant uh, 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 pastors. And he said, now I got them all. And I said, yeah, baby, <laughs> that, that, that's who you are. You're right. I said, you're number three on the uh, on the starter <laughs> list. Here, you know? So you get those weekends. So uh, you wow. know, have a great time with it. He's, he's a great man. And. He's been a great asset, and so he's come to add value all the time. And I think that uh, we received it that way, and everybody is secure in who they are, and uh, we celebrate one another. And he's always affirming, when he's in the pulpit, he's always affirming uh, Todd, he's affirming me, he's affirming the church. And so we've got a very affirming environment, and in that environment, people can be secure, and you can be comfortable. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. I, I've, I've got to be honest with you. I never thought I'd hear the words that John Maxwell is third string, but that that's, that's yeah, incredible. Third string, third string, yeah. <laughs> third string. But I'll tell you what, he's a powerful third stringer. I'm telling you that right now. I, I believe it. I believe it. I love all of his books and uh, his meeting hey, with Maxwell John, and all of it. It's incredible. We got a good team. Yeah, we got a good team. No kidding. Well, talk about this for a minute. You talk about the importance of communication in passing the baton. Why is communication so important during this transition? Well, I, I think because what it does, it eliminates all the what can be uh, the confusion, uh, a lot of things that can create uh, somewhat of an anxiety among people uh, because they're trying to figure out with this transition what's going to change. How is that change going to impact me? Uh, what are we going to look like now in the future? Because most people don't really like change, and even most leaders don't like change unless they're initiating the change. You know what I mean? So I think what we did was I started communicating, of course, with our, our elders, and we prayed and, and through that, and we would already uh, knew that Todd was going to be the successor in this issue, our son, but not because he was my son, but because the call upon his life, the gifts and ability that he had already proven that he had, and his his own leadership that he had established. He was the executive pastor here and had been serving with me for almost 25 years. So, I mean, hello, the boy was more than equipped and ready, and That's all he mean. needed was more weekend uh, pulpit experience uh, to de- to develop his communication to the next level. He's already a good communicator, but I want him to grow to become a great communicator, which he has. Um, so started communicating there. Then I uh, I started communicating with our major uh, influencers of the church uh, and a lot of our major donors who had who had given significant to help us build, and we're always building, we're always growing here. Um, and I, I I met with them and laid out the whole concept. Uh, the why, the how, the when, um, 
so they understood, so there was no confusion, and they answered questions about the transition to them. Then we took it to uh, the next time we took it to our executive staff, and then we took it to our staff at large, uh, and then we finally took it to all of our uh, lay leaders, uh, and uh, we have several thousand key lay leaders. We took it to that group, and then we revealed it to the church at large. Um, and then we were constantly communicating throughout the process uh, so that the staff could really have a sense of security through the time uh, of what was not going to change uh, and, and, and how we need to be positioned to embrace the new changes. And then the timing of it was very important. I think that's an important thing about transition. You, you always want to sense a time when you've already got good momentum, whether it be in your ministry department or whether it be in your church. When you time transitions, um, you, you want to do that well, uh, and we did. We were, we've were we been growing so strong. We were in a strong position in all areas of the church and healthy, and we had a good wave, and we got up and surfed that wave and made that transition uh, during that time. And then the wise thing that Todd did was he was always validating the past when mm. he would start to offer a – a, a new vision for the future. So, and, yeah. and everything we we were doing in the new steps were built off the foundation of what had been done. So it wasn't like we were doing a ninety degree turn or something. Uh, we we were just going with some new fresh vision, and then we celebrated those things. And Todd to this day celebrates uh, the past. He celebrates the the uh, our leadership. Uh, he celebrates those that have sacrificed in the past. And so it brought everyone with us through the transition because we validated them and we realized we cannot do anything except for what the foundation had been laid for us here. And at the same time, there was excitement because there was a fresh new vision coming out of our new leader. Um, and then we found that transition very, very smooth. But we were very intentional about the communication piece. You cannot communicate enough. And then we gave key staff leaders opportunities for one-on-one -on -one, uh, communication about it. Because everybody wants to know, well, how is this going to impact me? I had this relationship with Coach. Uh, now, I don't know how this relationship is going to be with, um, you know, with Todd, uh, with Todd taking this new role on. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that had to be, you know, that had to be talked through. And that had to, had to really come through in a strong way for the people. And then we were able to have such a seamless transition. It was so smooth that there wasn't even a ripple in the water. I mean, uh, we mm. were blessed for that. And, and when you're growing, when things are healthy, um, transitions should be a normal part of the process. And, and they should be that way. Do you think you can over-communicate? Um, rarely do we ever do that. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think it's getting the communication to the right people uh, and mm. and reinforcing that in the right ways. But I don't know about over communication. I think that sometimes you can uh, uh, maybe not go through the right uh, process of communication. I mean, it's very important that I took plenty of time to discuss this with our elders, for instance, over a period mm -hmm. of months before I even started talking to anyone else. And then I told them what we were going to do and, to, and asked their guidance on it. 
then we went to the next level. See, I think if you're always open to say, and then I would even ask the people I would meet one-on-one with and talk to them about I said, now, is there anything I'm not seeing here? Do you have any suggestions that would help this transition uh, be smoother and more uh, more uh, impactful? Uh, what do we need to do? Is, you know, and, and once again, I was asking John these questions, and I was telling him what we were doing. He was going, yeah, that sounds good to me. You know, you guys are on the right trail. You're doing the right things. And John's actually the one that encouraged me to write the book because the transition was so done so well, um, and God just helped us every step of the way that he said, you need to write about it because there's been a lot of uh, uh, transitions that didn't function so well. Uh, I talk about it a little bit yeah. in the book as well. And then you got the crisis-driven transitions, which you never know when there, someone dies or there's been a moral failure or there's been some other kind of crisis. That's why we have to be prepared uh, for those things, and preparation is key. We, and we've had a crisis plan in place that if anything had ever happened to me in my travels or whatever, they knew immediately we'd already uh, made that decision among our board of elders that Todd would be moved into that role of our lead pastor. That's amazing. Um, last question for you here. Uh, one of the things you talk about uh, is not passing when I'm ready, but passing when the successor is ready. Um, and, and with that, ta- uh, the, the importance of being ment- mentally prepared and mental toughness. I know that's something that's talked a lot about on the football field is mental toughness. Um, if you wouldn't mind, explain, explain what that is and, and why it's important in what we do in the church. I think one of the biggest things, especially for guys uh, that are that have invested a lot of time into a work, um, it, it's hard to let go. It, it's hard to let go of the leadership baton in some areas when you, you you've invested so much of your life into that. But I think keeping a a, a kingdom perspective about it that is the baton's never ours to keep. It's only ours to run for a season. And so for me, it was coaching actually helped me do this because I had to make the transition from being a player on the field to a coach on the sidelines. And I found gratification in helping other people succeed. So in our, in our situation here, I knew that I had a lot of energy left. I had a lot of years of ministry left, but that wasn't the issue. The issue was, what is best for the church long term, and when is my son ready or my successor ready to really step into that role and take the baton and run well with it? And um, I knew that we had reached that point, uh, and I actually had some of my friends say, well, man, you, you know, you're strong. You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot of vitality. Why are you stepping out so quick? And I said, it's not about me. It's about the church. And it's about the, my successor being ready, and he will take us. And actually, as we made the pass, it energized our church family. Even though we were growing and been growing consistently for years, we shot off to a new level uh, in that first year that we passed the baton. And um, I look back on it, I could have actually, Jared, passed it a couple years even earlier. And the, and the amazing thing about it is since I passed the baton, I have been busier than I was before I passed that thing. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, and some guys are, well, what am I going to do? Well, you know, the great thing it is when you, when you pass the baton, 
in, in the right leading of God's spirit and the right timing, he'll have another baton for you to take up. And uh, there'll be another stage of your life in your ministry because uh, we get so ingrained, we get our identity there, our, our ownership is there. Some guys haven't financially prepared for transition, especially at my age. They haven't prepared for that. Uh, a lot of things hold guys back. Uh, but the reality is, if we make a mistake, it's usually we hold on too long. Uh, and, and I always say, baby, go out on the top of your game, but go out when you have the right successor ready to step in, because he's ready to step in and begin the game and play well and, 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 and lead the organization well. And so I, I brought Todd into my world. I integrated him into a lot of things where he was not involved before, so he had a broad perspective. Uh, I tried to make sure that I didn't leave him any problems to solve that I should have solved before I passed the baton to him. I wanted to make sure those hurdles were out of the way. Uh, we were in a strong financial position as a church. So I tried to really position him for success, and I knew that he was ready, and that's why we passed it at the time we did. So it's really not about when I was ready. It's more about when is the successor ready, when is the organization you're leading is ready, and then listen, when those two things line up, pass the baton. Man, that's good stuff. Uh, I, I have to ask, as a, as a football coach, and it seems like a still avid football fan, who is your favorite football team? Well, I grew up in Ohio, so Ohio State was like always my, you know, my team that, that I had a kind of a natural allegiance to. And, and I still kept breast. I'm, I'm a big college fan. Uh, I've had players, because I did some high school coaching, too, here in Florida, I had uh, players uh, play for all the Florida teams, and I've gotten to know all of them. But um, I, I, I love the, the Southeast Conference. Uh, it's, it's a great conference of football. And I grew up, though, a Big Ten guy. Uh, now with hardball coming back into Michigan, I think the Big Ten is going to go up a notch or two. But uh, uh, I'm still an Ohio State fan. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Pastor Tom, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, wow. Well, I, I think they can go right on our webpage at uh, gochristfellowship.com. I got a Coach Tom Mullins uh, kind of Instagram thing they can go on to, and, and, and my team helps me keep posting on that. They say that Perfect. I tweet Facebook and Instagram, but I haven't done it yet myself <laughs> personally. But I've got a team that does. Here, I've got a team. Matter of fact, my one of my one of my team members is here with me right now, Carolyn. So, what? How's the best way for them to get hold of me? <laughs> Definitely by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram on Coach Tom Mullins. Coach Tom Mullins. Okay. You got it. Uh, okay, on, on social at Coach Tom Mullins. Yeah, she gets that stuff to me. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, I've loved, loved being with you. I'm going to leave you one little statement that you can you can Instagram, tweet, or whatever you want to do today with, okay? Here we go. Ready? Coaches create wins for their people and celebrate those wins with their people. They create wins and they celebrate wins. That is phenomenal. When you start helping people create wins and you celebrate those wins, it will take your people to a new level. And the other thing I would tell guys, pastors, just love your people and tell them how much you love them. If you love them and you're, and you're lifting up Jesus Christ, you're going to, your only problem is where do we park them? That's going to be your problem. Where do we park? Wow. All right, wow. buddy. We love you and God bless you. 
Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. Good grief. That was an incredible interview. I just love his passion and his conviction to do what he does. It's so contagious just talking to him, how fired up he gets about leading people to Jesus, leading others to be able to do the same, growing up leaders, training people, coming alongside and coaching people. What I love so much of one of the things that he said is that people would always prefer a coach over a boss. Man, I've got some things I need to work on, but that interview was amazing. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you for checking out the Creative Sheep podcast. Make sure to go over to creativesheep.org and check out our brand new series packs. Let us know what you think. You can hit us up on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. It's simply at creative underscore sheep. Again, that's at creative underscore sheep. You can find us on Facebook. And of course, you can always email me. My email address is jared, J-A-R-E-D at creativesheep.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.